We are in Chagiga Yir Aleph Omer Aleph, 11a1 in the Art School Gemara on the second column. We are on the last page of this chapter, very, the, the very last page of this chapter. The Gemara is continuing to comment on the Mishnah, which was found on Yud Omer Aleph on the last page. <coughs> and the Mishnah was divided up into three different groups. The first group is with regards to Nidarim, vows. And it says that when it comes to making vows, they are porchen ba'avir, that they are not found explicitly in the Torah, and they are just hinted to in the Torah. It's referring to specifically the annulment of vows, that the fact that you could go to uh, somebody, to go to a rabbi, to go to a chacham, a, a wise person, who could annul your vow. And then the second category are cases where it's hinted to in the written Torah, but, mo- but there are aspects of it which are in the oral Torah. And that we had a grouping of the laws of Shabbos, the Chagiga offering, that is the discussion of our entire chapter, and Me'ilah with regards to uh, using something which is designated for the base of Megdash, for the temple, in an improper way, in a secular way. And with regards to those three, the Mishnah says, Mikra Mu'at Vahalachos Merubos, that they are some. They have some verses that are explicit in the written Torah, but they have many laws which are not found in the written Torah, and it's just derivations that were passed down from generation to generation. So, and then we have a third category which we will get to momentarily. But on that last category, the Gemara now says, Merubos Tana." It was taught in a Brisa, which is from the time periods of the Mishnah. That we have two other cases that are not mentioned in. The Mishnah. Negaim Vahalos Mikramuat Vahalachos Merubos. Right now, they say there are two potential other cases which are hinted to. They have verses in the written Torah, but many halachos which are not found in the written Torah explicitly. And included in that is Negaim, which are cases of a Mitzorah, somebody who gets a, gets a, 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 an illness of spots on their bodies or in their homes um, or on their clothing. And that is a spiritual illness which they get for, for as, a, as a punishment for a spiritual flaw. And that is limited in, and as of now, the Gemara says it's limited in the written Torah and has many halachos in the oral Torah. Va'olos, and also the case of impurity which is caused not through physical contact, but by being in the same room, by being in the same tent, by being in the same under the same covering, that, that there too, it's not found explicitly in the Torah, but there are many laws to it. So the Gemara questions of this, and it says, is it really too in the first case, in the first case of the mitzora of having these this spiritual illness, negai mikramuud, is that really true? Negai mikramurubahu, there are two whole parshas, two whole Torah portions in the Torah, which are designated with regards to these laws. How could you say that? It's not found. It's very limited. In the written Torah, there's a lot written on it in the written Torah. So the answer is no. There's really, it was, uh, this is really how you have to read the Brisa. Amr Papa Hachi Kamar. Papa says, this is how you have to read it. Negaim mikra muruba vahalachos muatos. When it comes to Negaim, to the Mitzorah, who has the spiritual illness, Really, there are many verses related to that. There are many, many verses. And proportionately, there are fewer laws that are found not in the Torah, that are found just through oral transmission, than there are 
laws that are found in the written Torah. So most of it is found in the written Torah. But it's as opposed to all laws. This is in, in contrast to all laws with regards to the laws of impurity, which could be transferred just by being in the same room, not just by contact, but by being under the same roof, where where there, there are very few psukim, very few verses that deal with it, but many uh, oral transmi- laws that are transmitted uh, from generation to generation. So the Gemara now asks really a question that they could have asked earlier, which is a very important question. What's the difference? Which is an interesting assumption in the question. What's the difference whether it's written down in the Torah or whether it's an oral law which is passed down from generation to generation? What's, what I find fascinating is that this is proof that the oral law has the same exact uh, level of, of, um, of law, of stringency, as the written Torah. That the fact that the Gemara asks the question, what's the difference whether it was written down or whether it was transmitted orally, shows us how much they are equated. They really are equated, and we don't give greater priority to that which is written down in the Torah. We have to study them both together, the written Torah and the oral Torah. So it's not just one over the other. It's not the written Torah over the oral Torah, but they are equal. And therefore, the Gemara asks the question, what is the practical difference between them? So the Gemara explains, also an interesting answer, turning to 11.82 in the article, Well, what if you have a question? If you have a question when it comes to the laws of Tzara'as, Mitzorah, of Negaim, where you have this spiritual uh, illness, so then you should look in the written Torah for the answer. And if you have questions with regards to the laws of Olos, of impurity, which is transferred through an OL, through a tent, um, through a covering, so then you should look in the Mishnayos, you should look in the Oral Torah. And our commentators explain that this doesn't mean that if you want to come to the final conclusion, so then you should only look in the written Torah, you should only look in the Mishnah, there is a lot of development of the law. There is the Gemara, and there is the uh, Rishonim, the co- earlier commentators on the Gemara, and then we have the modern-day halachic authorities and the Yachronim, the various poskim. It's saying that it's not saying that if you want to come to the to the final conclusion, just look in the written Torah, just look in the Mishnah. You have to look at a lot of things. But what it's saying is that if you want to get a basic overview, so then what should you look at? So when it comes to Mitzorah, look at the written Torah. When it comes to the transferring of impurity through a covering, when you're under when two people are under the same cover, so then for that you should look in the Mishnahs. Okay? That is the conclusion of the Gemara with regards to that. The Gemara now discusses the last grouping, which is found in the Mishnah. So just to review that, the Mishnah said that when it comes to dinim, when it comes to uh, law, various uh, just regular cases of law between two people, of damages that are incurred between two people and the like, when it comes to the service in the temple and the korbanos, when it comes to impurity, and purity, and when it comes to arayas, when it comes to um, immoral and uh, illicit relationships, so then all that it is found in the Torah. It is found in the Torah. It is found in the Torah. However, even though it's found in the Torah, there are aspects of it. The fact that it says teaches us that there are aspects of it which are not explicit. It's just it is. You could rely on the written Torah, but some of it is not explicit. And so the Gemara now is going to go through all these cases and try to explain how is it not explicit.
That was not explicit in the Torah. So for when it comes to dinim, the first case of damages and the like, that type of law, the Gemara there's a whole, there's a lot of parts, there's one specific Torah portion, Parsha in the Torah of Mishpatim, which discusses many, many of these laws. So it is written down. It is, it is explicitly written down. So the Gemara answers, Lo nitzrucha el, el Rebbe. We need it for the following statement of Rebbe. And Rashi, the classic commentator, points out that it's not just for this statement, but it's really for many laws, that many of the laws that are found in the written Torah, it is embellished and explained based on the oral transmission, based on the oral Torah. And this is just one example. What is the example? The Tanya Rebbe Omer, Nefesh Tachas Nefesh. It, the verse says, Nefesh Tachas Nefesh, that a soul for a soul. Now this is found in multiple places within this Torah portion when it comes to uh, damages, that you have to take an eye for an eye or the like. So the Gemara here is going to explain that it doesn't mean literally, in many cases it doesn't mean literally a soul for a soul or an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Mamun ato omer, mamun. The Rebbe says that it's referring to not a soul for a soul, but it's the value of a soul or the value of an eye or the value of a tooth. The Gemara says, ato omer, mamun, o'enu el nefesh mamish. How do we know that it's referring to monetary value but not literally a soul for a soul or an eye for an eye? How do we know that? And so they explain because Nemar Nesina Lamata Venemar Nesina Lamala. It's based on a principle that we've had in the past of a Gisei Shava, of two similar words that are found in different verses. And the context here is referring to a case of where one person intended to kill a specific individual and they, um, they, they were unsuccessful, but instead they killed somebody next to them. So these are examples. Two people are fighting. One of their wives is next to them, so they try to attack the man. Instead, they either kill the wife, or if the wife is pregnant, they kill the fetus. So that's the discussion that's found within those various psukim, a very interesting discussion in those, in those verses. And so there it uses the context, uh, in that context, it uses the phrase, nefesh tachas nefesh, a soul for a soul. And according to Rebbe in this Gemara, when one intends to kill one person but doesn't succeed in killing that person but they kill somebody else, they're not deserving of the death penalty, but they have to pay a monetary fine for the value of that soul. And how do we know that? Because it uses the same word, Nesina, Nesina, one verse after the next, and it's clear that Ma Lahalan Mamun Afkan Mamun that in one context, when it says Nesina, to give, just the word itself, it's clear there that it's in the context of monetary value. When it's coming to, in that context, it's about the fetus, that if you if you accidentally, instead of killing the, the man, you kill the fetus, you, you hit the woman and you kill the fetus. There it's clear in the verse that it's talking about the monetary value. So since it uses the same word when it comes to killing the woman, there too it's also referring to in monetary value. So this is just the proof, the fact that we use the same word in in two different verses, and it's there to tell you that it, it means monetary value. That's how we know that nefesh tachas nefesh, soul for soul, does not mean literally in this context, but it means that when it comes to the how much you would have to pay, financially you would have to pay the amount that that soul is worth, which is also a big discussion how to figure that out. And so the same thing is true with, when it comes to a tooth for a tooth, or an eye for an eye, it's not literal, but it is the monetary value. And that's what is not explicit in the Torah, that is what is transmitted from... Uh, from oral through oral transmission from the oral uh, Torah. It is important important to note that the Rambam Maimonides explains. He asks the question: Well, if it's not really a soul for a soul, or tooth for a tooth, or an eye for an eye, 
So then why did the Torah phrase it as such? Let it say that it's referring to the monetary value. Why would it seem to imply that it, it is literal? And the Rambam Maimonides gives a very uh, fundamental explanation and says that really, 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 you should you should give up your tooth. If you damage somebody else's tooth, they no longer have that tooth or their eye, so then you should also lose your eye. That's really what it should be. Except that for various reasons, we, we believe that you shouldn't uh, damage yourself as a result, you should just pay the financial loss. But that financial loss is really a form of substituting for what you should really be doing, which is which is um, an eye for an eye. So that's really what should be done. We don't do it practically, but conceptually, that is how we are supposed to view paying for the for the monetary loss, which is a very interesting idea. And so that's why the Torah uses the phrase, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, even though it is not to be taken literally. Okay, let's discuss now the next halacha category that's found in the Mishnah. Avodos. When it comes to the laws of korbanos, of sacrifices, there too, we say that even though it is written in the Torah explicitly, but there are some laws, some of it is just hinted at. In the Torah, it's not explicit in the Torah. And so to explain korbanos, we're not going to... There's a, there's a lot to discuss when it comes to karbana sacrifices, but the main part of a sacrifice is really not the eating of the animal or the burning of the animal, but it's really focusing on the blood of the animal. That there is a mitzvah, there are four steps in the process. There is the mitzvah to do shechita, to slaughter. Then there is a mitzvah to receive the blood, to, to, to uh, catch the blood in a bucket. And then to walk towards the Mizbeach, to the altar, and then to do what's called, the last step is Zrika Saddam, the sprinkling of the blood. And the sprinkling, sprinkling of, the, of the blood is really the final and uh, last step in the process. And that is the four-step process when it comes to the blood. So the Gemara answer is, we need it for the following. With regards to walking. With regards to, when it comes to walking, that is not found explicitly in the Torah, again, the four steps are slaughtering, shechting, which is one step, and then receiving the blood, catching the blood. The third step is walking towards the Mizbeach, to the altar, and then sprinkling the blood onto the altar. So the Gemara says that when it comes to walking, that's not found explicitly. The Tanya, as the verse says, Vihikrivu, it says that the Kohanim, the priests, should should go, they should get close. What does getting close mean? The Brisa says, Zu Kabbalas Hadam. This is referring to uh, Kabbalah Saddam, the receiving of the blood. And he uses the language of Vikrivu, of walking, of coming close to, even though it's really referring to the receiving of the blood. But because he uses the language of walking, so that implies that included within that is really both aspects. Even though it's not explicit in the Torah, but we have both aspects, the receiving of the blood and the walking towards the Mizbeach. How do we know that Vikrivu bringing is, is referring to walking towards the Mizbeach? As we find elsewhere, when it comes to the to the um, uh, putting the the limbs and fats on the mizbeach on the altar, there too it uses the language of bringing it closer to the mizbeach, closer to the altar. And that's how we know it's referring to bringing the limbs to the ramp. So this teaches us the fact that he uses the language of getting closer. And it's referring to the receiving of the blood that really the two go are are, are implicitly are hinted at within that one word vihikrivu that you should bring that 
we learn out both the receiving, the the catching of the blood, and then walking to the altar. Rashi, the classic commentator, points out that you don't always have to walk, even though it's one of the four steps, but it's not necessary. If you happen to do shechita, if you happen to do the slaughtering right next to the altar, and you're, you're right there to do the sprinkling of the blood, so then you don't actually have to walk. But when you do walk, so then it's viewed as an avoda, as a service in the base Middash, which means that it has the various ramifications of serving in the base of Mikdash. It means that it has to be done by a Kohen. You have to wear these special priestly garments. Um, it can't be somebody who's uncircumcised. They can't sit down. A whole list of things that apply when you are doing the service, what's, what's referred to as the service in the base of Mikdash. And that also, that, that would also, the same rules would apply when you are walking, when you are bringing the blood closer to the base of Mikdash. So that is the next, that is the, the next category, and we will go on to the to the next category in the next recording, and hopefully tomorrow we will complete the entire first chapter of this tractate of Mesechus Chagiga.